I want to invite your attention to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges, the 16th chapter, and we want to begin reading there in verse 18. Judges chapter 16, beginning in verse 18. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he has showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. But notice this phrase. This is our sermon today. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. You know, in that story, very familiar Old Testament story, I'm sure. He thought that everything was going to be just as it had been in times past. He thought that God would grant him the strength to rise up and shake himself and have it be as it was in all other times prior. But that sobering phrase, he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. I want to talk to you about that today for a little while. Before we do, we have a wonderful privilege now of going to the great God of heaven in prayer. And we would invite all that would to humble yourself in a manner that you see fit while our brother directs our minds at this time. Prior to the events under consideration this morning for a little while, you remember back in the 15th chapter of the book of Judges, we find the account of when Samson came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the Bible says that the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burnt with fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. And the scripture says that Samson found a new jawbone of an ass and put forth his hand and took it and slew a thousand men therewith. And Samson said, with the jawbone of an ass, heaps upon heaps, with the jaw of an ass have I slain a thousand men. After this was done, or after he was done speaking, the Bible says that he took that jawbone and he cast it out of his hand and called the place Ramath-Lehi. And the Bible says that, the, that Samson was sore athirst at that time, and when he was, he called on the Lord, and he said, Hast thou given this great deliverance into the hand of thy servant, and now shall I die for thirst, and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? And God clave a hollow place that was in the jaw, and there came water thereout, and when he had drunk, his spirit came again, and he was revived. And the last verse of that chapter says, And uh, he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines twenty years. Well, then we find that Samson went to Gaza, and it was there that he saw a harlot and went in unto her. And word got to those Gazites that Samson had come there, and they compassed him in that walled city, and laid wait for him all night, saying, We're going to wait for him, and in the morning, when it is day, we're going to rise up against him. He will be defenseless, as it were, and we will kill him. You know, we talked about uh, various cities not too long ago. You remember last Lord's Day, we talked about the, uh, the place of Nineveh, or the city of Nineveh. And in Nineveh, it had walls as upwards to 100 feet tall. 
You remember Jericho also. Jericho was a fenced or a walled city. And ancient cities either fell into those two categories. They were either fenced or walled, or they were open cities. And fenced or walled cities was built for the purpose of protecting them against the attack of an enemy. And here it was that the Gazites find out that Samson is there. And they said that in the morning, that's the time that he's going to leave. They just assumed that would be so. They compassed that walled city and they laid in wait and they purposed that when we see him in the morning, he will be defenseless and we will rise up against him and we will kill him. But notice what happens. Samson at midnight, the Bible says, came and rose up. And at midnight, he took the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and went away with them, bar and all, and put them upon his shoulders and carried them up to the top of the hill that was before Hebron. Then the Bible says that there was a woman in the valley of Sorek named Delilah, and Samson loved her. You know, very interesting, this term loved. It was not, as I understand from the scholars that tell me, it was not just simple attraction. It wasn't that, she, that he was just attracted to her beauty on a physical sense or from the outward show. He loved her deeply and dearly. And we're going to find out that there are two motives that are set forth in the story of Samson and Delilah. We're going to find that his motive or the reason that he did what he did and said what he, what he said was out of his deep love that he had for her. So love was a great motive in his life, but money was hers. And notice our story. The lords of the Philistines came to her and said this. They said, entice him. They said, find out what he could be bound with that we might afflict him. In other words, let's find out this great man of strength Let's find out what we can wrap him up with, bind him, tie him down, that we as mortal men, normal, normal fellas, can rise up against him and afflict him. And the lords of the Philistines told Delilah that if you do this, each one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And so here it is. I would imagine with just the sweetest tone you can possibly fathom in your mind's eye, that Delilah said to Samson, Samson, how come you're so strong? I would imagine she did it with a sweetness in her voice, and she did it from her heart. As she came to him and wanted to inquire what it is exactly that would afflict him. And she says, wherein does thy strength lie, and wherewith could you be afflicted? And Samson said this. He said, well, I'll tell you. If you take uh, seven green withs or cords that have never been dried, and you take seven green withs and you bind me, I shall be as weak as any other man. Now I understand contextually this cord or these withs that Samson was referring to was so strong that you could put one on somebody and it would be so strong it would be virtually impossible for human strength to break. Samson says, though, you multiply that seven times and you put seven green withs that have never been uh, uh, withered or never, have never been dried, and I shall be as all other men are. Well, the Bible says that the lords of the Philistines laid in wait in her chamber. They didn't trust what he had said. They knew about the strength of this great man. 
she rose up and she said, after she had bound him with those seven green withs, she said, the, the, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And when he rose up, he broke those seven green withs like they were thread thrown in a fire. And she comes to him again and she says, Samson, Samson, you've betrayed me. Samson, why have you done this? Why have you told me lies? Tell me wherein thy strength lies, I pray thee. So at first she says it ever so sweetly. Then when he doesn't tell her, now she beseeches or begs him to tell her. And Samson said this. He said, if you take a brand new rope that has never been used, and you bind me with that brand new rope, I shall be as all other men are, I shall be as weak as any human being, and I shall be overtaken. And the scripture says that she took a brand new rope and bound him, but she tested him once more. And there were those that were still lying wait in her chamber. They were afraid to rise up against Samson before they knew that this would work. And she cries out like she had done in time prior. And she said, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. And he rose up. And the Bible says he broke that rope like it was thread. Well, now her tone is about to change. Now she demands. She says, Samson, how can you do this to me? How can you say these things to me and lie to me? Tell me wherein thy strength lies. And Samson said, if you shall take and bind the seven locks of my hair, or the seven locks on my head, and shall bind it to a web and a pin, I shall be like all other men. That's it right there. That is the great equalizer with regards to my strength. You take a web and you bind the seven locks of my hair and you put a pin in it and you bind it to the wall. I will be as all other men are. Incidentally, have you ever in looking at this story wondered what he meant by the seven locks of his head? I'll tell you what two different scholars said just for uh, information, I guess. One scholar said that it didn't represent anything but a symbol of all of his hair. For example, you can look in many places in God's word and you can find that the number seven is used in reference to completeness. One scholar said all it means is, is that Samson said, if you take all of my hair and you put it in a web and you pin it to the wall, I shall be as all other men are. But another scholar said, he probably bound his hair in seven different locks. Really doesn't matter though, because what he tells Delilah is, you take my hair, you put a web on it, you bind it to the wall, I shall be as all other men are. And here it was. She does just that. And as she had done on two prior times, she said, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. Now you picture this in your mind's eye. He raises up. Now picture this with your hair. He raises up, and the Bible says when he stood up, all that was fastened to his hair was still there, but his hair was so strong that it pulled the pin right out of the wall, and he was not afflicted. Well, Delilah is about to get smart. She knows how much that he loves her, and she says this to him. How can you say that? How can you say that you love me and lie to me like this? Please tell me 
wherein thy strength lies. The Bible says that all daily, day after day, she kept asking and inquiring of him, what is it that makes you so strong? Well, finally, she wore him down, and he commits treason against himself and against the great God of heaven. And he finally tells her that no razor has come to my head. I've been a Nazarite from the time that I was born, and no razor has ever come to my head. But if a razor came to my head and the seven locks of hair that's on my head shall be cut off, oh, I shall be as all other men are. And the Bible says that she called for the lords of the Philistines and she said to them, come now, for he has now told me all of his heart. And the Bible says that the lords of the Philistines came to Delilah, and each one bearing 1,100 pieces of silver, they give those to Delilah, because now she has done just exactly what they have inquired or they've asked her to do. She has upheld her side of the deal, her part of the bargain. And notice what happens now. She entices him to sleep on her knees. And as he slept and as his head laid there on her lap, she called in for a man to come in while he slept and took a razor. And the Bible says he shaved off the seven locks from his head. But as she had done now three times prior, she said, Samson, the Philistines be upon thee. I want you to notice what he does. This is the entire point. He rises up out of his sleep and he says this. He said, it shall be as it's always been. In essence, as I paraphrase, he says, I will stand and I will shake myself and my strength will come upon me because the great God of heaven will give me the strength that he's given me each and every time. Now, this was a man that was able with God's help to rise up against a thousand Philistine men and slay them with the jawbone of an ass. This was that man. This was that man that was mighty in strength, that had, uh, uh, had passed the test that Delilah had given him on three times prior. He says, I will rise and I will shake myself and it shall be as all other times. But here's the phrase, how sobering it is. But he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. You know, the Bible then says that they took Samson, they laid hold on him, and you know what they did? They took him and they purposed, we're going to pluck his eyes out. They took his eyes from him because they said, we're going to find out, we're going to make sure that he will never, ever be able to plot against us ever again. Then, to add further insult to injury, as it were, and to give him even greater shame, they gave him a job that the women had, and that was grinding grain. So here's this blind man with no eyes grinding grain. And the Bible says that in that house, the house was full, and the lords of the Philistines were present, and all men and women were present there too. And the Bible says that in this structure, there were 3,000 men and women on the roof. And you know what they were doing? They were rejoicing, they were cheering, they were celebrating because of his great victory against this man of God. And notice what happens. 
They're going to now make a sacrifice under their idolatrous God, and that being Dagon, and they're going to offer up a sacrifice to him because, after all, he must have been the one that delivered Samson into our hands. Well, after they do that, that's not enough. They said, get him out. Bring him out that we might make sport of him. In other words, we want to laugh at him. It's not enough that he has no eyes and he's grinding grain and he'll never be able to plot against us ever again. Let's make fun of him. The Bible says that they brought him out. And I would imagine that all eyes were on him, laughing at him. I would imagine that all eyes were on him like he was the grand champion Sal at the county fair. Every single eye was looking upon Samson. Now listen, there was a young lad that brought him out to, those, to the porch area where there were these two great columns. And not just columns of any sort. These were the ones that bore the weight of this great structure. So he asked something of the lad that is very reasonable. He said, let me touch the columns. Let me touch the pillars that I might be able to lean myself on them. Surely this was not an unreasonable request for a blind man. And so this young lad, the Bible says, brings Samson before those two columns. And he's standing there by those pillars. And the Bible says that he reaches out with his right hand and touches one. And he reaches out on the other hand and touches the other. And he cries out to the Lord in prayer one more time. And he says, oh, Lord God, he says, give me strength just one more time. He wasn't asking for deliverance from this time. He wasn't asking to have his eyesight back. He just said this. He said, grant me the strength just one more time that I might be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And the Bible says that he stood there and he had his hand on each one of those pillars and he cries out these words, let me die with the Philistines. And then it says that he bowed himself with all of his might. And when he did, that great structure came crashing down and all that were in the house were destroyed. Well, the scripture says that the dead which he slew in his death was far greater than and far more than the things that he had done or the people he had slew in his life. But you know, just prior to this, and that's because of the events that transpired here in this occasion, it's because he came to find the fact that he was going to give his heart to Delilah and tell her something that was not hers to know. And he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. I wonder today, I just wonder today, as we live in this Christian life, I wonder how it is with us. I wonder, could it be said that Frank thought that everything was just as it has always been? But he knew not that the Lord was departed from him. What an awful thought it would be for the Lord to depart from us. Did you know that the Bible does declare that? The Bible speaks of such a thing. Let me just say this to you. There are four things that we can look at, four very brief and very specific things and very simple things in God's Word 
that we can do each and every day to make sure that the Lord will not depart from us. Let me just say this, though, before we progress on with number one. It is true that it is a great blessing to be a Christian. You know, our blessings in this life are far greater than even the spiritual blessings that we find through Jesus Christ, God's Son, and our Savior. Oh, there's tremendous blessings of a spiritual nature, and they are greater than any temporal blessing in this life. That is true. You and I live our life in such a way able to handle all the challenges that come before us day by day because you and I know that our Christians, we've been baptized for the remission of our sins and we're trying to serve the great God of heaven in accordance with the scriptures. Those of us that have done that, we live by a different standard governed by the word of God and it doesn't matter what comes our way if we have that faith that is deep within us We've perfected that faith by our obedient works. We have something that not everybody has. We have hope. We have hope of heaven. All the greatest blessings of all. Because what Jesus did for our sins so long ago at Mount Calvary. But you know something else? I am assured in God's word that God knows me so well. That even the very hairs of my head are numbered. Jesus would say in perhaps the greatest sermon ever preached on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if God so clothe the lilies of the field, shall he not clothe you, O ye of little faith? Oh, Jesus didn't say that if we are serving God and we are living the Christian life, that we are going to be blessed with riches untold and become millionaires and wealthy and have all of these temporal things that are far greater than anyone else. No. Jesus says that if you live the Christian life in accordance with God's word, even the necessities of life will be taken care of, and you don't have to worry about any of those. Now listen, that's a great blessing. But Jesus says that there's a condition, and here it is. Here's number one. What can I do to make sure that God will not depart from me? Simply put, I must seek first. The kingdom of heaven. I must seek first God. I must put God first in my life. And the kingdom is the church. That means that the church needs to be the most important thing that I am a part of. In all the decisions that I make and in all the things that I do, that's got to be first and foremost in my life. In order to have the, that's the condition, to have the blessing that Jesus said you're going to have and your necessities will be taken care of. Let me just say this. You know, it doesn't matter what I say to you right now. It doesn't matter what I say with my lips when I leave this place all week long. It doesn't make any difference what I say to anyone about how important the Lord is in my life. If my actions don't support what I say. You know something else that's very sobering to me? I might be deceived, and I might even deceive my brethren, family, friends, and whoever. But God is not deceived. And God knows what's most important to me today. You know, there's ways we show our importance or things that are important to us. You know how we show that the Lord's important to us? You've done it today. You've gathered here on time side of eternity. This is the Lord's day. 
This is the day that the Lord said you're going to come together and you're going to worship God. This day is a special day. And nothing could be more important than doing this in our life. We are not to forsake this assembly. We are to come together and worship God. And you have done that today. Because you have an appointment with your Lord today. And you didn't break it. But you know, more than just worship, there are other ways. How about my lifestyle? How about the things that I do? How about the folks that I hang out with? How about the friends that I choose? Also, what about the daily decisions? You remember a sermon I preached to you about a year ago on decisions? Remember that? Decisions and choices. Sometimes we think that the only thing that God is concerned with are the big decisions in our life, the ones we consider life-changing and huge. But make no mistake, God is concerned with every little daily decision that I make. Because when I make those decisions, I am showing God how important He is to me and how important living the Christian life is to me too. So we ask ourselves, is the Lord number one? If I were to ask you this question today, because listen, I need those blessings that Matthew 6 and 33 talked about. I need the blessings that Jesus spoke of. And I don't want the Lord to depart from me ever in my life. So I ask us all the question, is the Lord number one in your life? Your daily decisions, and I mean every day, determine the answer. Number two, though, something else that we must do in order for the Lord not to depart from us. You remember in Paul's second letter to the young evangelist Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. All he talked about some things prior to verse 5. He talks about some things that are very important for the evangelist to know about. He talks about a man that's going to go to war. He's not going to be worried about the things in life that his eye is going to be single and so on and so forth. After he goes through all of those things, though, you know what else he says? He says in verse 5, I believe, he says that a man that's going to strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned unless what? Unless he strives lawfully. Now that's sobering, isn't it? That means that if I have good intentions, but it's not lawful, it's not going to work. It's not good enough. Let me illustrate it this way. I gave you this illustration over seven years ago. If you remember it, you got a great memory. But it's been over seven years. I'll give it to you again. When I was in high school, I used to run track. One of the events that I ran in was the 400 meters or 440 yards. 400 meters is a metric quarter mile. Very grueling event. Very grueling race. Here's the rules, though. If you have seven people on a track, you have to stay in your lane the entire time. And the way that it's set is if they lined up every single contestant on, along that line, straight out from the beginning of the inside of that track all the way to the outside of the track, it wouldn't be fair because the outside guy is going to run farther than the inside guy. So they stagger the lanes. They have the fella in lane one at the starting position. Then in lane two, they move him out ever so slightly and move him forward. Lane three does the same thing. He goes out a little further, and he goes up forward. All the way until lane seven, that fellow's way out in front on the outer part of the track 
but everybody runs the same distance. Here's what happened. The gun sounded, and there was a fella in lane seven. He had never run in a track meet in his life. And man, he was just pumped up, and when the gun sounded, here he comes. He shot out of there like a scared rabbit, and he came around that track, and he was leading the pack, leading all of us by a great distance. When he came around that final turn, though, he just decides, I no longer like number seven. I think I'll go to number one. So he's in lane seven, and he shoots in all the way to the inside of the track, and he runs in lane one for a little while. Well, there's laughter and cheers by those that are watching, and he decides, I no longer like number one. Think I'll bounce out to three or four, and he does. And so that last 50 yards, this fella is weaving like this on the track. He looks dead straight at that finish line, at that tape, and here he comes. When he crosses the finish line, up his hands went, oh, he thinks he has won the race. Until he turned around, and the judge said, you are disqualified for leaving your lane. In other words, like Paul said, it doesn't matter how you strive if you do not strive within accordance to the rules. Folks, that's living the Christian life. Today, I don't get to wake up and decide how I'm going to serve God. We do things specifically in this assembly today, not because we've chosen it to be so. But we do things in this assembly because that's what the Word of God tells us we must do, and we cannot deviate from it. If we were to add a musical instrument in our assembly today, we might think that in our ears it's greater, it sounds better, and after all, we're doing it for the Lord, right? So we're just adding to the worship something that will help us along. It doesn't matter our intentions. It doesn't matter any of that. It's not striving lawfully. Therefore, that worship is not acceptable in the eyes of God. We have before us one loaf of unleavened bread. We cannot have several loaves. We cannot break the loaf and send one down one side and the other down the other side because it would change the meaning that it is and it would change the way Jesus instituted it. Therefore, we can't do that. We have one cup on the Lord's table, not because we decided that that would be the very best thing to do. No, we have one cup on the Lord's table because that's what Jesus did when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He took one cup, and one cup is representative of the New Testament or New Covenant by which we are bound, and the fruit of the vine therein is the grape juice, and it represents the blood of Jesus. These things are the communion of the body and blood of the Lord. We can't change it or we change what it means. And it doesn't matter how we mean well. It doesn't matter how we really feel about it. What matters is, oh, you've got to strive. But you have to strive lawfully <coughs> in all that you do. That's sobering to me to think that the way and the manner that I do everything in my service to God is in question. I need to do what God has instructed me to do and strive all the days of my life. But I must make certain that I would do so lawfully. Thirdly, though, in verse 6 of 2 Timothy 2, very interesting passage of Scripture. And Paul is keeping the same thought as he's going down verse by verse. And now he has 
Another example. Another thing that you can compare the Christian life to. He says the husbandman, the farmer, the landowner, whatever you want to call him, he is not going. Notice exactly what Paul says. He says this. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. What does that mean? It means this, according to the Greek text, the husbandman must labor before partaking of the fruits. That tells me this. Yes, indeed, we are saved by grace in that it is not my works of merit that's going to earn or deserve me a spot into heaven. That's true. But we must demonstrate or perfect our faith by our obedient works. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. He says, if you want the prize, first of all, you just got through saying, you're not going to strive. Uh, unless you strive lawfully, you're not getting the prize, no matter how hard you try. Now he's saying, you're not going to get the prize at the end. You're not going to get the fruit of the land until you roll up your sleeves and go to work. What's something that I can do? So that the Lord will not depart from me. That is. I will demonstrate. And perfect my faith. By my daily obedient works. That's a responsibility we all have folks. We got to work. For the Lord. Fourthly though. I know this is not a pleasant one. But we have to say it. There's something else that we can do. So that the Lord will not depart from us. And that is we must stay away from things that are sinful. We must avoid at all cost sin. In James 1 and beginning in verse 14. You remember on our Wednesday evening studies. We studied this when we studied the book of James. James had just got through saying. That let no man say when he's tempted. That he's tempted of God. Listen don't ever think. That God has thrown a stumbling block in your path, in your way, that causes you to stumble. He will not do that. God is our refuge. He's the one that we turn to. What happens when a man sins? How many times have we heard people say, yes, I did. Yes, I sinned. But let me just explain it to you. It wasn't my fault. Because this, that, or the other. You know what James says about that? James puts it right in my lap. If I am going to sin in my life, he says it's my fault. What happens? First of all, he says that God does not tempt any man. And then he says this of what happens when you are tempted. Every man is tempted when what? He's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That tells me this. I am going to be tempted to sin when I am drawn away by my own lust and enticed. Notice what else he says. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth what? It brings forth sin. Sin is what's born of lust being conceived. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. We need to do all that we can to depart from things that are causing us to stumble. If there are things in your life that make you weak, stop doing them. 
If there are people and associations in your life that are bad company and bad influences in your life, stop hanging out with them. If you cannot live the Christian life in your current surroundings, change your surroundings. Don't let something be thrown in front of you that will cause you to be led away by your own lust. Here's the point, though. This is the great God of heaven. This is the merciful God of heaven, though. Listen, if I don't get away from the lust and I stumble and I sin, you know what's great? What's great is if I'm a Christian, I can be forgiven of all of that like it never happened. You remember the story in Acts chapter 8 when Philip was preaching to those in Samaria? Oh, he was preaching to some folks, including Simon the sorcerer, that was as against God in every way, shape, or form before he heard the word of God. And notice what happens. Here comes a preacher on the scene. He preaches two things, which shows me, by the way, that you cannot have one without the other. He preaches Christ, and he preaches the kingdom. He preaches Christ, and he preaches the church. Those two run hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Notice what happens. They receive the word with gladness. They receive the word readily. And they receive the word willingly. And what happened? They were baptized, including Simon. Well, you remember back in that time, and not today, but back in that time, they didn't have Bibles in written form, so they had to do something to confirm the word of God that was preached there. So they had to pass on spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit given to those new converts. But Philip was just a preacher. He was not an apostle, and only an apostle could do that. So they called for Peter and John. And here comes Peter and John. And all of a sudden, Simon backslides. He looks at this idea, and he sees Peter and John laying their hands on people and receiving the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit to confirm the word of God. And he says this. Let me have that gift. And he offers them money. That he could have the gift that whoever he laid his hands on, they would receive this miraculous measure of the Holy Spirit. Peter said this though, thy money perish with thee. He said, repent of this thy wickedness and pray God that the thoughts of thine heart may be forgiven thee. There's a second law of pardon. That means if I'm a Christian but I stumble, I get to make it right. What do I do? Peter says, you repent of this thy wickedness. You confess these things and pray to God that those things would be forgiven. Well, you remember that Simon says to Peter, he says, please pray for me. Pray for me that the things that you have just said that are going to happen to me as a result of my sin will not come upon me. And he did so. Sin is something we got to keep out of our life, folks. It really is. I know that sin's not pleasant. I know those aren't pleasant things to talk about. But listen, it's the quickest way for God to depart from us. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.